Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. First Peter 4, verses 12 and 13 this morning. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Amen. Please be seated. I remember in seminary, an older, more seasoned pastor said to us, young seminarians, if you want to be a pastor to your people, then you must be very comfortable with sorrow. And those words have always stuck with me. Who's comfortable with sorrow? Sorrow is one of the most uncomfortable emotions in human experience. One we try to eliminate from our lives, or at least try to reduce as much as possible. But having been a pastor now over ten years, I could not agree with that statement more. There is not a time in our church where there aren't people going through difficult circumstances and struggles and trials. It's a constant part of ministry. Be it sickness, sin, sadness or just loss it's always there physical emotional spiritual pain and trials are an ever-present reality of life and each and every one of you has walked that road and some of you are walking it indeed even now a trail of tears And it seems like as of late, our congregation has had a lot of challenging roads in which to walk, not only individually, but corporately as we bear the burdens of one another. I believe it's in God's good providence that he brought us to this letter and this study of 1 Peter, that which the theme is that of suffering living as exiles and sojourners in this world, and experiencing those trials and travails as they come into our life, both within as well as without. And at times we can feel even attacked. Peter's readers during the first century no doubt knew this well. As they came to Christ, they were experiencing persecution, suffering by the hands of Nero and the Roman government, and some no doubt wondered, as we all do, is it really worth it? If this is the result, why do it? Why continue on? Why press on? Why sojourn any further? Especially when you are weary and tired. When you are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you have that pressure, no doubt, to cave in. 
to allow the natural thoughts of fear and worries, perhaps even of anger, to consume you. And it's during those times that we can feel awashed amidst the winds and the waves. It's then we need the solid ground, the solid foundation of God's word to be an anchor for our soul. And here we have it in one of the most classic passages in all of scripture on Christian suffering. Indeed, it goes all the way down to the end of this chapter that we will look at verses 12 and 13 specifically this morning. And what Peter says here, no doubt, is not going to be surprising or shocking to you, but these are the truths that need to be as a wall or a buttress to support you during such times. And what we see here in this passage is ten truths about trials and sufferings. All ten come from this passage, from verses 12 through 19. And this morning, Lord willing, we will look at five and Next week, look at five more. But I want to lay these like you would bricks or pavers to set a firm foundation, to have a solid rock of God's word and truth so not only that you are able to stand in the midst of trials, but that you would even thrive and grow and be strengthened as a result. And so this morning, I encourage you to write these down. Because not only do you need these for yourself, but you need these so that you can give comfort and help to those that are going through difficult times. And all of the points, one through ten, five of which we'll look at this morning, begin with trials are. So write that down. Trials are, and then put a colon and number your page, one through five this morning. Because we see that trials are first from a loving God. Trials are from a loving God. And this is where we need to begin because this is where seemingly the problem seems to be. The problem with pain and suffering where so many have shipwrecked their faith. If God is all loving, why is there pain? Why is there suffering? And human logic would have us to say, well, if he's all powerful, he's able to stop it. Or if he is all loving, then he should not allow this to happen. And so human logic says he needs to be either one or the other, but he can't be both and at the same time, or he's deficient somewhere. But we know from scriptures that God is indeed all-powerful, as well as all-loving, all of the time. And yet he allows suffering... He allows trials to enter into our life, but we should not see that as an absence of his love, but rather we should see because of his love, he allows these things to happen. Look at how Peter frames this discussion in verse 12. He calls them beloved. This is more than just a greeting. This is a status, an identity, rooted in the very gospel itself. In fact, as he starts this epistle in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he tells the readers that they are born again through the resurrection from the dead. 
And that their salvation is so secure that it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, reserved in heaven for you, ready to be revealed at that last revelation. Peter says that our salvation is complete. It is secure. And soon we think of our salvation in that manner. And as we look at our present circumstances, perhaps our present trials, our present dealings, do you think that he makes our salvation so secure but then kind of leaves everything else gray and muddled? Can we think that somehow the circumstances of our life are somehow an oversight on his behalf, a miscue, a whoops on the part of God? Or can we believe that even this is a part of our salvation? It's not just our salvation and then the circumstances of life and he orders this but doesn't really deal with those other aspects of life. No, all parts play together for our salvation, for our good. It's a part of being transformed that by not going through it, we would not gain that which he has for us. And therefore, for him to withhold it would be for him to withhold his love from us. And it would be unloving for him to withhold these trials and even this suffering in our life. That God loves us and allows these things to happen. Not in spite of his love, but because of his love. You might say, well, my present circumstances do not feel loving. And I understand that. I get it. Yet that is where our perspective is so limited, is it not? That we think only that which is easy is that which is good. But we need to learn as Christians very soon, very quickly, if we have not learned it already, that it's even the difficult and the painful That can be the good. That can be the source of true good. And that is a difficult truth, no doubt. That is an unpopular truth. But can we agree on this this morning? That your status, your identity as the beloved in Christ does not change amidst any of life's circumstances. That our God and His love is not capricious God is not in heaven saying, I love them, I love them not. His love is constant. It is forever the same. It is fixed from eternity past. That must be a bedrock truth in the midst of all circumstances and especially in the trials of life. And because that is true, then we can go on to say, number two, trials are purposeful. That he has allowed them to happen in our life for a purpose. The Heidelberg Catechism, catechism written by the Dutch reformers, talks about how God governs and upholds the world. And we call that theological truth providence. And in that question on providence, the Heidelberg Catechism, question 27, says that he governs and upholds all things. 
And it says that heaven and earth and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hands. You hear what it's saying, that there's no such thing as chance or fortune or coincidence. From our perspective, oftentimes it may seem that way. We may seem that we have bad luck or have a bad break, so to speak. But when we see things from God's perspective, from the eternal decrees, from the providence of God, there is no such thing as luck or chance. All things come from his fatherly hand. In other words, they have purpose. They're directed by God from his throne. He's not the author of sin or evil, but does he use sin and evil and even the fallenness of this world for his own purposes? Absolutely. Every day. And that is why Peter says in this passage, do not be surprised. As if some strange thing were happening to you. This is not out of God's providence. This is not out of his control, whatever it may be. And I would think that all of us would hold to that truth. All of us being good Calvinists believe that we would check that box, we'd affirm that truth. But that is a tough pill to swallow when we experience circumstances that are difficult, that do come as a surprise to us, that come out of Left field, as we would say. And yet this truth must be that bedrock foundation that even this is a part of God's purpose. And his purpose specifically for me. One of my pastor friends got diagnosed with cancer and he received a text from a fellow friend, a fellow pastor that said just simply this, rubber meets road. That here is where your faith meets real life and the difficulties of real life. What you believe is going to be tested during that time, no doubt. But can you say this morning, no matter what you are going through, that it is directed by the hands of a loving God and it has purpose? You might not know what that purpose is, and I understand that. But can you bow the knee this morning? Can you bow your hearts and truly say that whatever my God ordains is right? Well, third, then, trials are from the hands of a loving God. They are purposeful, and yet trials are difficult and painful. And nothing what I've said up to this point reduces this truth one iota. We can simultaneously say that God has a purpose for them at the same time that our trials are terrible. That our trials hurt. That our trials sometimes feel like we're walking through an earthly hell. And to not say such is not to be human. We're not to be emotionless through these circumstances. We're not to be stoics. We're not to keep an upper lip stiff. 
Or not to talk about the difficulty of it. Or just say, oh, I'm good, I'm, I'm making it through. When the reality is, you're not at all. Your life is crumbling apart. Or even to think and be super spiritual and think, well, I want more trials to come. I'm going to pray for trials. Don't pray for trials. You, they will come, no doubt. But we need not ask for them or beg for them to come, thinking that we'll be somehow super spiritual in them coming upon us. Peter says, notice here, that it's fiery trials. Fiery means it's unpleasant. And they're unpleasant because oftentimes the trials attack something that is precious, something that is good, something that is desirable. And it hurts because it is gone or we do not have it anymore. And to not cry, not to be sorrowful, would be to do more damage to our hearts and to our souls and to our lives. Now, if you're going through such, and when you go through such, we need to embrace the sorrow, not run from it, run to it. For this is a part of God's healing. This is a part of his balm to your soul. And if you're to be a comforter to the sorrowful, don't try to necessarily lessen the tears or lessen the hurts. Don't be like Job's friends and immediately go to the reasons why this has come about. No doubt there might be a time for that, but that time might be not then. First, just be there with them. Even weep alongside them. Jesus wept over the death of his friend Lazarus. And we need to have that true Christian sympathy, that sympathy that is so rare, that sympathy that demonstrates true love, part of that bearing that burden together. And so we as God's people must be comfortable with sorrow, both in our own lives as well as in the lives of others. And yet, at the same time, as we say that, we can say that we can submit to God's trials as well as pray that we would be delivered from them. That those two truths are not mutually exclusive. That yes, we can be content in them, as well as pray and pray fervently that God would remove these things from us. Remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, where it says that a thorn was given to him in the flesh. And Paul says three times, I pleaded with the Lord about it, that it would leave me. And the Lord did not deliver him from that. And therefore Paul goes on to say for the sake of Christ, then, I will be content. And so you see both of those things being held up, the pleading with God as well as the contentment that is needed. The same thing is said of our Lord. The night before his trial and the night before his crucifixion, what is it that he prayed? If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. God allows us to experience pain 
He allows us to experience suffering so that we will seek a solution. But don't think that the ultimate solution is deliverance from that problem. It might be, and the Lord may deliver it from you. And you should praise God for him and be thankful for it. But deliverance isn't the ultimate solution. The ultimate solution is discovering Jesus amidst the problems. Amidst the pain. Realizing that he is sufficient even in the midst of them. That pain and difficulty is the path to Jesus. Fourth, trials are to test us. We see this fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you. Here we see some of the reasons why God allows these things to happen. They are part of his purpose, part of his fatherly love, and that, that is to test us. Children, no doubt, you do not enjoy tests. Guess what? Your parents don't either. You probably wonder why is it that your teachers give you tests when you might think it's to torture you. And all the teachers would say, well, not completely, at least. Part of the educating process is to test you, to see that which you know as well as that which you do not know. And a good test will stretch you. It'll plumb the depths. It'll make you discover new things, have new discoveries. And the same is true in the trials of life. And we are always in the classroom of Christ. And Christ Jesus is our school teacher. He administers the tests. And each of our tests are unique and individual. My trials, my tests will not be yours or yours mine. But they all have the same purpose. And that purpose is told to us by Peter, again, back in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says this, In this you rejoice, now know for a little while it's necessary you be grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice what Peter is saying there, both in chapter 1 as well as here in chapter 4, that we need to go through a testing to demonstrate the genuineness of our faith. And that word that is used there for test is that of a goldsmithing word. As the fire would be heated up so that they could be able to put these precious metals in there, to burn away the dross, to remove the impurities, and to make them pure, to make them useful and usable. So God is doing the same with us. We are entering into the refiner's fire so that we may come out in a way that would be honorable and pleasing to God. This summer we went back to California, where my wife is from, to Central California, which is known as the gold country. And there, myself and my kids toured a gold mine, the Empire Mine. 
And they demonstrated the process of mining for gold and then making that gold pure. And it comes, as even Peter says there in chapter 1, through the use of fire. Or even as he says here in chapter 4, through fiery trials. That fire was used to make that metal a liquid, not only to remove the impurities, but as well as to pour it into forms so that as it cooled, it would take on that form, it would take on that shape. But then even after it cooled, it needed significant polishing to see it to be gold, or see gold as we see it to be these days. And I think all of that is a perfect analogy of what Christ is doing through us. That he is refining, he is shaping, he is polishing, he is purifying. And that happens every time we go through suffering and trials. Christ is the refiner. He is the potter. We are the clay. And he gives us all that we need to bear up underneath it. One pastor said that Christ puts burdens on the shoulders of those that are able to bear it. Not that we bear it on our own. Because if we did, we would collapse under the weight of it. But it's because Christ bears us up through it. It was God who brought Job to Satan's attention. Not Satan to God's attention. Listen what God said to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on earth? A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Could it be that God has allowed testing, has allowed trials, not because he is condemning your faith, but actually commending it in the heavenly places? That he's allowing for this to happen because he knows that you can bear up underneath it. Again, not on your own strength, but through the strength that he provides for you. And through you. Many of you have endured much. And should be commended for it. And I know that you bear it up only through the grace of God. But your faith as a result has become pure. And pleasing to God. And you will be rewarded. In the day of revelation. That through some of your sufferings in this life you'll be richly rewarded in heaven. I hope by God's grace that I will just make the the suburbs of heaven. But some of you will be in the heart of the city of God. Near and dear to the throne of God because of that which you have endured in this life. Well, fifth and finally for this morning, trials are to therefore conform us to Christ. Years where the mystery is made plain, where we understand and are to look to the cross, to the righteous one who suffered, to see that he too suffered and his suffering was purposeful. His suffering comes by the hands of a loving God. That through his suffering, we experience love. We know what love is. In fact, that's what John says in 1 John 
In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And therefore, at the cross, we find all the meaning we need. Just as he suffered, so we suffer too. Notice what Peter says here, that we share in Christ's suffering. Not to atone as Christ's suffering does for us, but even as we are made righteous through Christ's suffering, so now we suffer as the righteous because of Christ's righteousness in us, in identity and conformity with him. Paul says in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That suffering that we are to endure is a part of that bearing of that cross, being crucified with Christ, so that he would live in us. And that it would be no longer that us that lives, but he that lives in us. He goes on to say in chapter 6, of Galatians, I bear the marks of Christ Jesus. All of your sufferings leave a mark, don't they? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, some that are seen, some that are not seen. I think the scripture would say, to you this morning that those that learn from their suffering and those that are able to bear up under it, those are the marks of Jesus. Upon our hearts, upon our minds, upon our bodies even, and as painful and as difficult as those may be, they are at the same time badges of honor, of glory and praise to Christ even as we are conformed by him. R.C. Sproul says, not only are we allowed to suffer, he says it is our vocation as Christians. It is our vocation, it is our calling, because our calling is to be made disciples of Christ, and that cannot happen apart from suffering, because it is how we are conformed to the image of, of Christ. Well, there's so much more that could be said, but we'll stop there for today and look, Lord willing, next week at the remaining five truths of suffering. But let me close with this. Jonathan Edwards, probably the brightest and most brilliant theologian and pastor that America has ever produced, died at a relatively young age. He had just become the president of Princeton and he received a shot to inoculate him from smallpox and yet through it he contracted the disease and died within a month, seemingly in his prime. His wife, Sarah, wrote a letter afterwards to their daughter, Esther. And I think it summarizes so much of these points this morning. And this is what she said in that letter, What shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands over our mouth. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had him so long. But my God lives and he has my heart. 
Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left to us. We are all given to God. And there I am and love to be. Your affectionate mother, Sarah. We are all given to God to both kiss the rod as well as to adore his goodness for he has done it. There I am and love to be. That is faith, beloved. Tried and true. Conformed to the image of the Savior. May the Lord be pleased to see such a faith in us and say, along with Sarah Edwards, my God lives and he has my heart. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we are confronted with the truth of this. Much of this truth is painful even to us, for we know it to be true, and yet our hearts at times reject it. And we want to blame and sometimes even blame you and be angry at life and at the circumstances that we go through. But Lord, may through these trials, through these times of suffering, may you speak the words of the gospel to our hearts and to our lives to be reminded of that which your Son, our Savior, went through for our sake. And Lord, even as he said, if the teacher is to endure such, you think those that follow him will not. And so, Lord, may we bear up under these things through the strength and the grace and the mercy that you give us, that you would be a comfort to those that are struggling through this time. And Lord, may you remind them of your love. A love that is fixed and firm, that is from the foundations of the earth, and will be with them forevermore. Lord, it is that truth that we have comfort, that we have strength, and we thank you for it. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.